0: Welcome to the West Steps, a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host, Beza Tedes. Welcome back to The West Steps, Erin. For our new listeners who haven't heard season one yet, do you want to do a quick introduction of
1: who you are and maybe what you did this morning or early afternoon? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Beza. Um, Great to be back on The West Steps. I think if people haven't listened to season one, maybe we should just like break for a second and let them go go download all those episodes (laughs) and then they'll be all caught up. Um, Yeah, so I'm the vice president of Health Initiatives here at the Children's Campaign. And we just finished a little earlier this afternoon. Um, We had one of our big events, our um, our Lunch and Learn uh, for our legislative um, partners. So um, we have a bunch of folks, 50 or so folks, come Mm -hmm. over to the Children's Campaign offices, a lot of legislators and legislative staff. Mm -hmm. So every legislator has an aide Mm -hmm. um, who helps them with some of their policy work. So those are our primary audiences. Legislators and their staff, and um, they come over to the Children's Campaign. We feed them mm-hmm. a good lunch, good lunch, <laughs> and um, we talk about you know topics that are important to kids mm-hmm. um, and how we can make progress during the legislative session. So today, the focus of our lunch and learn was on mental health, um, and it's the, we did a full presentation on lots of different topics, starting from sort of perinatal mental health, going all the way through adolescence. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the part that I really spoke about was uh, around maternal mental health and perinatal mental health
0: and this leads me to my next um question that monday is a monday that you're going to be testifying um, in front of the jbc which is a little bit different than testifying at the state capital capital in, in front of the legislators can you tell us what that is um, and what are you going to be talking about and why is it just a little bit different?
1: Yeah. Um, So that's right. So on Monday, I'm testifying in front of the JBC or Joint Budget Committee. Mm -hmm. They're the six legislators who write the Colorado budget every year. Um, And this is the second year ever uh, or ever as far as we're aware of. Um, That that group has done a public comment period. So on Monday, between 1.30 and 5 in the Legislative Services Building, Mm -hmm. the JBC will be accepting public comment on the 2021 state budget. Um, so they will hear comment on anything and everything that's important to folks in Colorado, um, that get into the budget. And, um, so when I, uh, before I worked at the children's campaign for a while, I worked in DC and I was a staffer for the house budget committee. And so I think partially I'm just fairly, um, uh, partial to, mm. to making policy <laughs> yeah. through the budget, right? Yeah. The budget is what decides what gets paid for and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, so it has huge policy implications um, and implementation implications for the for the things that we care about. Mm. Um, and so the Children's Campaign this year is working on um, several budget asks, but there are two big ones that we're focusing on that were not in the governor's budget. So mm. the way the budget writing process happens, and I know Riley's explained this, yeah. so I don't have to do it in depth, but the governor creates a draft budget like he's like this is how I think the state of Colorado should spend its resources and he presents that to the joint budget committee and then they review that department by department and make decisions and then they determine what that final budget looks like and then that's the budget that the state has to use for the next year Mm -hmm. Um, and so the governor put his proposal together and there are two things that weren't in there that we think are really important for kids in the next year Mm -hmm. Um, I think Riley probably talked about How it's a very tight budget year so it's a tough year for advocacy in this space um but there are two programs that are really important and so maybe i'll just start with the one that we talked about at the lunch and learn today and this is around maternal mental health Mm -hmm. um right now in colorado um a kid uh, who's using medicaid for his health insurance which is a probably the most common health insurance, single health insurance for kids in the state. Um, His mom can get screened at pediatrician visits or well child checks for the kid for maternal depression. And screen, you mean the doctor would ask sets
0: of questions to determine the well-being of the mother?
1: Yep, and it's actually usually written down. It's the Edinburgh scale. It's Mm. 10 questions, most commonly. There's a few that are evidence-based, but um, there's 10 questions. It takes like two minutes to fill out. Um, okay. So usually it's the kind of thing where the mom would get that in the waiting room, Okay. look through the questions and then the physician, the provider, has um, a chance to sort of talk about that with the mom. Okay, Um, And so this is a critical screen because um, 50% of folks um, with depression don't get the treatment that they need. Um, We know that um, maternal depression, perinatal depression is the most common complication of um, childbirth and pregnancy. So it's incredibly common. It's experienced by 1 in 11 pregnant and postpartum people in Colorado. So this is something that very common. Goes through, yeah, yeah, like a huge proportion of folks go through. Um, and it's really important that the The child's doctors be able to screen for this test because, or screen for this because, um, oftentimes moms they get really busy, they get sleep deprived. A lot of them don't go back to their own physician or Mm -hmm. or their own follow up appointment, but they almost all take their babies in for those early well child checks because they want to make sure their kid's doing well. So they, there's a whole bunch in that first or that early period. You go back at like three days postpartum, and ten days postpartum, and one month postpartum, and two months postpartum, and four months postpartum, and six months postpartum, and so there's a, the child's doctor actually sees you a lot more than your own doctor. And they have a chance to do the screening, um, with you to have you answer these questions and then, um, you know, sort of interact with you about it. Uh, if it's a really good screen, they might be like, Hey, things look good. Let me know if that changes, you know, just sort of a conversation. I think a lot of folks are like, things are really hard right now, but maybe not like in a clinically depressed space, but like how well are you sleeping it's like hard, or not yeah. very well yeah. <laughs> um, are you worried yeah, about things like hours. yes yeah. i'm very worried about things um and so it's an opportunity just for the doctor to be like oh you know it's really normal for you to feel this way it's a really hard time everyone's dog is mad at them like I mean these are the conversations that people say they have with their doctors right like yeah this is really hard and um and it and so that conversation and and probably just having someone sort of ask the mom like like, how how are are you you Yeah. yeah how are you doing um that conversation is protective down the line. So just sort of having that interaction with your physician reduces the incidence of depression at six months. So that's great. Of course, there's a spectrum here. So there will be some people who are very depressed and need immediate services. And then, and this screen helps identify those folks too. So, um, really important screen, um, maternal, uh, so, Behavioral health issues, including um, suicide and accidental overdose, are driving causes of maternal mortality in the state cool. of Colorado. Um, we know the state of Colorado loses two hundred million dollars a year in like productivity losses and healthcare costs by not treating these perinatal mood disorders when they need to. Wow, so there's real effects. Um, there's also downstream effects for kids, Um because sometimes you know, if a mom's depressed, it's hard for her to be the kind of parent she wants to be to her kids. So it's not anything against the mom she's not doing anything wrong it's just that she's when you're not feeling well, depressed yeah. it's hard to do the call and but, response yeah like neurodevelopment stuff that you're supposed to do with your baby and it's hard to when you're changing their diaper be like and now we're changing your New diaper, diaper. And like, yeah because yeah, you're not cause, you're depressed yeah because yeah. you're depressed and um and so um it, you know, making a woman just aware, like, hey, I think you're struggling a little bit, like just that awareness actually helps. Like they're like, oh, I need to compensate, like I need to purposefully use more words. Yeah. Um, uh, they find you know, they can go to support groups, they can get um, you know, medication help, like whatever it is that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but if a mother's um or caregiver's depression is effectively managed by the time the kid is six months old, there's almost no downstream consequences. So um really important to catch early um for preventing mortality, economic reasons, health reasons, mm-hmm. um, and these screenings that happen at pediatric appointments are one really one way good to tool it. for that. Um, and so right now, if a kid has Medicaid in Colorado, that kid's mom can be screened three times okay. in that first year postpartum. Mm-hmm. The American Academy of Pediatrics and other expert panels recommend that people actually get screened four times. Okay. So we have this gap between sort of recommended practice and what's allowed. And um, so it's a a small gap. It's like a somewhat sort of technical small fix to the budget, but we do have to actually change the budget so that Medicaid can reimburse for the recommended number of screens. Mm -hmm. The other thing that this helps Medicaid do is like, is have clear communications with their doctors, right? It allows them to send an email blast out and say, remember, this is a good evidence-based service. We reimburse for it according to best practices. So please be doing it. Yeah. Because without being able to sort of reimburse the way they want to and and should, they feel like they can't really communicate about it. So that's one change we need to um, get into the budget this year. And that's um, pretty small fiscal note, probably. But it's, you know, it's not in there right now. If it's not in there, it's always a
0: a hard conversation to get it in there. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um the other piece that we're advocating for in this budget process um on Monday mm-hmm. is around the family planning program in Colorado. Okay. Um and to increase resources to this really evidence-based um program in the state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So I think before we move on and I I um apologize if this seems kind of straightforward to listeners but I I just want to make sure we are um on the same page. All of these things that you just described um are kind of resources to get parents to be the best parents as possible um and i ju- including the family planning one you just mentioned so why should child advocates care about um what's happening at the parent level yeah because i think we you know we spend a lot of time a lot of time talking about issues that impact kids um but it, you know this idea of like the full picture of what also happens with the parents is usually disconnected. So can you just draw that line clearly for
1: us why child advocates should care about the mom and should care about family clients? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, you know, we say like a, a baby doesn't exist in a vacuum. Like there's never just right? like a baby walking <laughs> down the street doing its own thing. People, people would be very worried <laughs> if was the case. Um, so, you know, that, that baby exists in the environment of its caregivers, its family, its community. And Mm -hmm. so we have to make sure that all of those things are strong so that that kid can get off to the best possible start. And so, you know, with maternal depression screening that what I sort of described around it getting in the way of parents being the kind of parents they want to be to their kids, even if they know they're supposed to be reading Good Night Moon and they're supposed <laughs> to be talking about the diapers. And, yeah. and even if they know that when you're depressed, it's just hard to do those things. And yeah. so, um, you know, making sure that folks are getting the screening they need and the support that they need so that they can be the kinds of parents that I think they want to be. And I think, um, the family planning conversation is similar, really. We know, um, that teen parents, um, and folks who experience unintended pregnancy, that they face just a tremendous number of barriers to success. It's not that they too don't know all of the things they want to be doing for Mm -hmm. their kids and their families. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, um, those unplanned pregnancies, it's just harder to get all of those pieces in place because our society is not particularly supportive of getting all of those things lined up for families. And so, for example, we know um, pregnancy and parenting are often cited as the top reason for dropping out of high school. Wow. Um, because we don't provide the supports that kids would need to do both of those things at the same time yeah um, and so um, what we want to do and what the what the family planning program has been really successful at doing across the state for years um, is making sure that folks, have all the choices they want so that they can get appointments into the providers that they like to see and that they have the choices of full types, full range of family planning services, right. Mm -hmm. That they can be educated about and make the decision about um, what type of service they want to use. And, and for a lot of folks, especially young folks um, they tend to be drawn toward those like sort of um, most effective forms of contraception, so yeah. long acting reversible contraceptives. There's two main kinds. There's um, IUDs, mm-hmm. um, and then there's like hormonal rods that go under the skin in your arm. Um, and a lot of young folks are like, "Oh, I can do something and not have to come back to this for five years. Like, yeah. sign me up for that. That's great. Yeah. Um, and this program is has been very successful at making sure that folks can make that choice and decide what's right for them um, and at reducing those unintended pregnancies because those pregnancies create so much so many barriers to sort of folks finishing the education that they want to have and, and being as economically secure as they want to be yeah
0: and and all of those things that you just mentioned are based on a data and what's scientifically the best effective ways of um, trying to get the best possible um, choice for, for young people. So they, they are well informed in, in what's the best right, the best choice for them. Just before we jump on, uh, from that, uh, joint budget committee conversation, how is your testimony going to be different in the joint budget committee as it would have been, say, at the, um, legislator?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and it's a little bit hard to predict. Everything's <laughs> a little bit different. Um, You know, I think there's often committees that go pretty long. There's lots of people who want to speak, and that's just on, like, one topic. Yeah. But when the Joint Budget Committee does public comment on the entire budget, I mean, they could hear comments on anything and everything. Can I come and talk about my I, sidewalks? Oh, I think, like, <laughs> uh, you know, they may refer to that as a local issue, but even as in the state budget, certainly. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there will be so many folks there, I think they will be keeping time very tight. So yeah. wow. sometimes when you're a committee, they usually give you three minutes. If you go a little bit over, or they like let you finish your sentence, I think they're going to be keeping people on the Robin clock. On there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it'll have to be fast. Um, and uh, it's a, it's a smaller group of people. It's only six people. A lot of the committees are, especially in the house are yeah. larger than that. Um So it's six folks. And um, it's just an opportunity to say like, you know, Thank you so much for the amazing work you do writing a budget every year. I think it's one of the most effective ways to make policy, but there are these two things that we need need to get at it. (laughs)
0: Um, Just before we wrap up, um, how can, you know, just like what we talked about last week with mental health in Colorado, um, I think these issues feel like deeply private, yet they have such large implications for um, the public. And I think our continued effort to talk about them in an honest way and come up with public policy solutions that are effective is key to make sure every family is it has every possible opportunity for success. So um, how do you think people can get involved? What's the best way for people to get involved? And um, how do they make their voices heard in this conversation?
1: Yeah. Um, so in this case, like especially around maternal depression and family planning services, Um those personal stories are so powerful there. I mean, I know it's scary to tell them it's awkward to sort of discuss the type of family planning that you wanted mm-hmm. to engage in and how you were able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that those are so powerful. And so I, um, we are working, we have a great group of um, folks who survived pregnancy-related depression, um, who work in our coalitions. And so we're reaching out to them and anyone who hears this this week, please reach out to me um, if you wanna share your story. And so we're working to um, bring those stories really to the front so that the JBC can hear from folks for whom this is really important um, so that they can sort of put a face to the issue and be like, okay, we've gotta get these things done.
0: Fantastic! Thank
1: you so much for making time for us.
0: I'm hoping this is not the last time we'll talk this uh, this season, um, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great! Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, it's ad time.
2: Tara's back with the ads. Tara. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Who's our sponsor this week? Uh, support for this episode is provided by Effect, a Denver-based digital agency that helps campaigns win elections. Effect supports outstanding candidates and initiatives that are focused on winning their election in order to positively transform our communities. You can learn more at effct.org. That's effct.org. Do other people get to sponsor The West Steps? I'm so glad you asked. There is lots of room for other sponsors, including a title sponsor. So if uh, you're listening today and you want to become a sponsor of The West Steps and have your ad copy here read by moi. <laughs> where pe- where pe- people can go find that. Uh, sure. You could email me, Tara, at ColoradoKids.org and I'll hook you up.
0: Yes. Thank you, Tara, the ads. Thank you. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. To support our work, please go to coloradokids.org. That's coloradokids.org. Thank you.